Good morning. Are there any museums on your bucket list? Are there some places that you would like to go and to visit and see the contents inside? There are museums literally all over the world, and it could be that if you are a sports fan, the museum that you'd like to visit is either in Cooperstown, New York, or Canton, Ohio. It could be that you're an art lover, and so you have it in your mind that someday you're going to France, and you're going to visit the Louvre. Or maybe you are a history and an artifact buff, and so the ultimate experience for you would be to go to the British Museum in London. You know, I've enjoyed going through several very interesting museums, interesting, diverse from one another. Several years ago, by coming back from a mission trip, I stopped in Amsterdam, Holland, and went to the Van Gogh Museum. Locals call it the Van Gogh Museum. And inside, you saw a great number of paintings that really gave you insight into, really, the unusual mind of the artist. On a couple of occasions, it has been a privilege to go in Jerusalem to a couple of museums, the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum, very sobering experience, and the Israel Museum in which are housed some of the uh, remnants of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I remember that several years ago, Kathy and I had the opportunity to walk through the Vatican Museum in Rome for our 20th anniversary. But you know, some of the neatest museums that we'll find anywhere in the world are found right here in this country. Maybe you have visited the American History Museum, or you've had the occasion to go to the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. As you look at these, they're very interesting, and it makes us ask the question, what is it about museums that so many people find important and fascinating? Well, it could be that we look at a museum as a link to the past, It is a living monument to things that have happened in our past, in our nation, or maybe humanity's past. Or it could be that as we think about museums that we just feel like we're smarter just as the result of going out and getting some culture as we walk through them. Or maybe you find it more practical that a museum is an opportunity to do some research into some subject that you would like to know more about. Or maybe you find yourself inspired by the various things on display in a museum in which you go. Or perhaps you see a museum as a testament to the perseverance of humanity. Well, as we think about museums this morning, I would like to be, if I could, for a few moments, the tour guide on a walk through a museum of a different sort. And I want you to know that this museum that we're going to go on a tour together on is not one that's composed of brick and mortar. It is also not a museum that you've got to have a plane ticket to go to. You don't need a museum ticket to go inside. In fact, you don't have to go anywhere. In fact, I'd like you to ask you to stay right where you are as we go together on this tour. Now, as you think about the contents of this museum, the museum of your mind, there are artifacts, there are things inside that you're going to let out for exhibit, for display, for other people to see. But some of the most prized pieces in your collection are those that no other human being will ever see. No one can see the artifacts, those artifacts that you choose to keep to yourself in the museum of your mind, but you're reminded, as I am, that there is one individual who has VIP access, who can go into every corner of every room of the museum of your mind 
and that's God. Now, as we think about the tour that we're going to go on together this morning, I want you to think about how a museum is laid out. It is typically laid out with individual rooms. And those rooms have arrangement to them. Sometimes they're arranged according to time periods. Other times they're arranged according to the category of the content. And so it is with the museum of your mind. So in the few moments that we have, I'd like for us, we can't see every room, but I'd like for us to walk through some of the rooms in the museum of your mind. So if you will, in your mind's eye and your imagination, Let's step out into the hallway, and as we begin that tour, we're going to walk down, and we're going to see that first room. And that first room has a label over it, and the label of that room is the book room. Now, if you've ever been in the Library of Congress or some museum with a library like that, there are some impressive rooms of libraries throughout the world. But this one's unique. Every single book room in the museum of your mind is individual to you and those around you. And of all the books that are inside, I want to focus, because of time's sake, on just one book in there, at least for the bulk of our time in this room. And that book in the book room is the Bible. How much space is dedicated to the book room in the museum of your mind? As you think about the contents of the Bible portion of the book room, there's going to be various uh, items that will appear there. You will notice that in this room there are books and chapters and verses of passages that you have memorized. You're also going to find in the Bible portion of the book room that there are a lot of random Bible facts that you have accumulated throughout the years. Maybe it is the name and the number of the apostles or it's the tribes of Israel or it's the sons of Jacob or it's the name and number of the churches of Asia Minor. Also in this portion of the room there are principles and ideals. Some of those were placed there all the way back to childhood And some of those were accumulated as a result of your time in Bible study, in Bible classes, and in moments like these in worship. And others will have been the result of the time that you have spent in your study of God's Word. As you survey the Bible portion of your book room, I want you to think about the contents in light of some things that God's Word says. Think perhaps about David's words in Psalm 119 and verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or maybe I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is written on my heart, Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8. Or perhaps you think about the words that Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 when he says, Give diligence to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Now, I I can't see the Bible in the book room of your mind, and you can't see mine. But I want you to think about that book for a moment. Is it dusty? Is there a column of dust that's on top of it? Or is it well-worn? Is it dog-eared? Does it bear the marks and the wear and tear of usage? Perhaps we think of the blessed man in Psalm 1 and verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This book of the law shall be on your mouth and you shall meditate on it day and night and do all that is written in it. Then you shall make your way prosperous and then shall you have success. Joshua chapter 1 in verse 8. As you think about the Bible in your book room, I want you to compare it to the other books 
and I may say with air quote, the books in the museum of your mind. Because I realize that we don't read books like we used to as a society. And so maybe alongside of the books, you can catalog or think through as you look in that room, the websites that you have visited. Or maybe it's the movies that you have watched. Or it's the entertainment source that you have. What does it look like? What does it look like in comparison when we think about all the books that have been written, only one has been written by God. And of all the books that could be surveyed in this book room, none deserves higher priority than the Bible. E.T. Harris says that no one graduates from Bible study until they meet the author face to face. Well, we could spend more time in the book room. In fact, it's true of all the rooms that we visit. But for the sake of time, we're going to hurry out of that room. And if you'll walk with me down the hallway, our, our attention is going to be caught by a very interesting room. I would suggest that this is one of the most powerful rooms in the entire museum of your mind. When you think about the thought room, it is a very powerful room. It is a treasured room. You know, most of us have either safety deposit boxes or safes or some way for us to lock away the precious contents of our mind. But as we think about the thought room, our Lord reminds us through his word that he has ready access. He can come into that room with or without our permission. And as we think about the thoughts, he would let us know this so that we will think about the thoughts that we think and realize that he sees all that's in the content of this room. Maybe there are some passages that come to mind, and certainly there are a great many, but in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 24, that Solomon the writer would talk about an individual who would speak with deceit in his heart and that he would lie with his lips. When he speaks graciously, he says, Do not listen to him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. The idea is that if a heart is not properly trained, then we ought to be very careful about the condition of that heart. You know, when we think about Jesus and the access that he has to the thought room, it is a reminder that Jesus walks freely there. I think about the fact that when Jesus was on this earth, he amazed and he surprised those in his life because he knew what was in their hearts. John chapter 2 and verse 25 says that he knows what is in every man. And so often the Bible shows us how Jesus was able to read the thoughts of the religious. Do you remember on the occasion in Matthew chapter 9 when the Pharisees were thinking that Jesus was blaspheming and Jesus surprised them when he told them and he called them on it in Matthew 9 verse 3 and 4? There's another occasion and when there's an argument about what's the source of Jesus' power, but it was an uneven playing field because Jesus knew their thoughts. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 25. In fact, Jesus later on is going to say this in Matthew 23 and verse 27. He is going to say, Woe unto you, scribes of the law and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs that outwardly appear beautiful. But inwardly they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear outwardly to be righteous unto men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Matthew 23, 27, and 28. And so Jesus would tell us, frequently clean the thought room. Make sure that you keep it clean. He would say, keep the thought room clean of hate. 
In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, you remember that he says that you have heard that it was said by them of old, you shall not commit murder. He who commits murder is in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. And whosoever says Raka is in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And then Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he would say, keep the thought room clean of lust. In fact, if you walk through the rest of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is indicating there that we've got to be very careful with the thoughts that we think because they can lead to broken promises. They can lead to thoughts of vengeance and actions of vengeance that displease God. And they can cause us to be hateful toward our enemies. Every bad thing that has ever, been, has ever occurred has begun as a thought in the mind. And so the Lord tells us to make sure that we're very certain about what we do with the thought room. That we need to make sure that we clean out certain things. I believe the Bible would tell us that God wants us to clean out rationalizing thoughts from our minds. You know, rationalizing thoughts that say, I didn't do anything wrong. Or what I did wasn't so bad. Or what I did wasn't near as bad as what other people do. Because I'm reminded as I walk through this room of what Solomon says in Proverbs 16 and verse 2 that every way of a man is right in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives, Proverbs 16 and verse 2. Or the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Our Lord would say that we need to clean out, make sure that we don't have those procrastinating thoughts. I know what I need to do, and I'm going to do it soon. I'm going to do it someday. I'll do it eventually. I'll do it tomorrow. Whereas Solomon says, boast not yourself of tomorrow because you do not know what a day will bring forth. Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Or he says, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. James chapter 4 and verse 14. He would also say that we need to make sure that we clean out embittering thoughts. Thoughts that are put there by jealousy or envy or resentment or by selfish ambition. Hebrews 12 and verse 15 says that we need to make sure that no root of bitterness springs up and by it many are defiled. When we think about the thought room, we realize that it's a very powerful thing. That everything that we become starts as a thought in the thought room in the museum of our minds. As it is with all rooms, we're leaving some corners untouched for you to come back and look at later. We're going to step out in the hallway now and we're going to come to a room that's an adjoining room. A very similar room. And this room is labeled the word room. Every word that is ever spoken begins in the museum of the mind. I don't know if you've ever said this. I know that I've said this. I said, I just spoke without thinking. And I realize that that's not exactly true. Because Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. When I think about the word room, I realize how powerful it is. That death and life is in the power of the tongue. And so my words are going to be that which causes others to be encouraged or it's going to be that which brings others down. And it's because of this I'm going to be very careful about those that I allow myself to be surrounded with because their words impact me. 
Now, right now, playing in your mind, even as you riveted,ly listen to the sermon this morning, there are words playing in your mind that other people have said. Isn't it true? You can hear the voice of other people and the words that they have said to you. And some of those words that you hear in your mind right now are words that have been said that have continued to inspire you and to encourage you because they were encouraging words. But isn't it true that there are also words right now in your mind playing out of those who were negative and discouraging and bitter and divisive? And it's all that you can do to overcome that. It's a spiritual impediment to you. Jesus says we need to be very careful about the words that we let live in our hearts. When you examine those words, Jesus says that they're equal opportunity players, that they either justify us or they condemn us. So he says in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37, think about the words that are in your word room, of the words that are in your mind that are the result of things that you have said. Are they positive? Are they edifying and encouraging words? Because you see, the words that you have said are playing out in other people's hearts and minds as the result of their interaction with you. Or are they words that are hurtful and divisive? When we think about the words that exist in the museum of the mind, those words tend to live. They tend to stay there. You see, we're a veritable Indiana Jones going and collecting those words and putting them in that museum, in that word room. And they become a part of who we are. When you consider the word room today, I want you to think about the fact that there are words that stay there on permanent display. Are there words in the museum of your mind, of words that you said impulsively and without thinking it through, and there are words that you came to regret immediately or ultimately? Or maybe there are words that were said there that you heard yourself say that were said in sinful anger and out of control. Maybe there are words that you can hear that came from you that were words that were the result of rumors and gossip that you took and you spread on to others. Or maybe there were words that were lying and dishonest, words that you said not once but repeatedly. James reminds us with an illustration in James chapter 3 about the tongue. He says the tongue is a small member and yet it boasts great things. It's like a, a, a spark that starts a fire and he says that the t- our life is set on fire the, by the course of nature and the tongue is set on fire by hell. And he says it's like an unruly evil. It's a deadly poison. With this tongue, we praise God and we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. He says out of the same mouth comes bitter and sweet and these things ought not to be so. And so our Lord in James 3, 5 through 10 is reminding us of the power of the words. And so he says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the use of edifying, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Emily Dickinson says, words are dead when once they are said, they say, but I say they only begin to live that day. The words of our lives live there in the museum of the mind. Well, I want us to look, if you will, come with me out into the hallway, into this museum of your mind, and I want to see a room of a little bit different nature. We might label this the relationship room. And as we think about the relationship room, the relationship room is comprised of all the relationships, the people that have come into your life to make you who you are. 
And I suggest to you that there are a variety of types of relationships. That at the forefront of this list are the initial relationships of your life. These you had absolutely no control over. These are the ones that you're born into. The initial relationships very likely are comprised of your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, and all of those into whose life you were born. And then there were the initiated relationships. These, again, you had very little control over. This is in your formidable years. These are the relationships introduced by those initial relationships. That is, the folks that you were introduced to in Bible school or in worship at church or the circle of friends that make up the home in which you grew. But eventually there were intentional relationships. These are the relationships that you formed independent of your home from the time that you went to school until the time that you die. And all of these relationships impact who you are. Now I want you to think about the arrangement of your room. Even though the contents are different in all of them, they all kind of have this in common. You rank the relationships in this room in the museum of your mind. Now, if you'll look at the museum of your mind, you'll see that right in front of the door, there are the relationships that are the most important to you. And then there in the middle of the room are those that are somewhat secondary to those more primary relationships. And in the back of the room, there are those that kind of really are relegated to a lower position. And you think about the fact that there are some relationships that are not even in the room that have not been grown and have not been developed. Here's the thing about those relationships. You look like, you sound like, and you talk like those that are closest to the door. When you consider the relationship room, I want you to think about the fact that God would like to be the first and foremost relationship in your life. Jesus says in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Or the Apostle Paul says, look, the things of the gospel are those things of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Or he would indicate to us in Revelation 2 and verse 4, look, I want to be your first love. And if I'm not, I'd like for you to come to me so that we can have that kind of a relationship. But when you think about the relationship that you have with God, it is one that is forged in a very tangible way. The relationship that you have with God is forged by the time that you spend listening to him and talking to him. Now as you look at that part of the museum of your mind, the relationship that you have with God, there are snapshots. <clears throat> it's holiday season. Did any of you look at any of old family albums or look through social media and see some pictures that were put there from a long time ago? There is a picture that I can never erase of me when I was 10 years old. I'm standing in front of a post office in Glen, Georgia, and I have hair that's not been combed and it's curly, believe it or not. And then I have on these white socks, tube socks, go all the way up to my knee. I'm 10 years old. Fortunately in some ways, unfortunately in others, I don't look like 10-year-old Neil anymore. But one thing's for sure, I've changed a lot since then. I want you to think about your relationship pictures with God. Are they out of date? What do they look like? Are they pictures that were taken today and recently? Is there an ongoing album that's ever changing of the relationship that you have with God? You think about the relationships that you do have. Are the bulk of those relationships with those who make up the body of Christ, those positive influences that can help you in your walk toward heaven? 
Or are the majority of those relationships those that would be characterized by John as those who are of the world in their thinking and in their action? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. When you look at those relationships at the front of the room, isn't it remarkable how much you resemble one another? But I also want you to think about some other relationships. Here in the relationship room are those relationships that you have nurtured, that you have seen to to help those in your life's path. In the relationship room are those who you have shared the gospel with, those who you have taught about Jesus. There are those in this room who are, you have encouraged in walking the Christian life. Here in this room are those that you have mentored, those that you have encouraged, those maybe who are younger, maybe there are those who are new Christians or those who look up to you. And I believe there's a placard there that reads, Wherefore edify one another and build up one another, even as you are also doing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. Or maybe it says, exhort one another day by day while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. Here in the relationship room are all those that you have built up and brought closer to Christ. It could be though in this relationship room that there's somebody whose picture is there Maybe someone recently that you have discouraged in living the Christian life. Maybe it's a Peter and Barnabas type snapshot. Really not a finest moment for either one of them where Peter led the son of encouragement away so that he committed hypocrisy. We're reminded there in this room of what Jesus says in Luke 17 and verse 1. It's inevitable that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It would be better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he be dropped into the depths of the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. As we look at the relationships that characterize our life, are they relationships on our end and their end that bring us closer to Jesus? Or are they more characterized by those that lead us away from him? Which relationships characterize us? It can be a very beautiful room. And I hope that it is for every one of us. But it could be that there need to be some changes made in the composition of this room. Well, you know, our our tour could go on, but we're running out of time. And so what I want to do is as we get ready to leave the museum, we're there in the back as we make our way back out. I want us just to observe some other rooms that we can see as we go. You might notice that over there is the promise room. And in the promise room, in the contents are the promises that we have made. There are promises that we have made to our parents and promises we've made to our children. There are promises that we made to our spouse, promises that we have made to those who are loved ones. And of course, there are the promises that we made to God. You know, some of the promises that we made in this room were made in happy times. And there are other promises that we made in times of desperation. But we think about the man that will dwell in the holy hill and in God's tabernacle. It includes the person who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I invite you to come back and spend more time in the promise room. But we walk out and up ahead we also see the obedience room. As you go into the obedience room, here you have a glimpse of, a picture of the way that you're living the Christian life. Hopefully in faith-filled obedience. But I want to warn you that to go into this room, you're going to need a broom. 
Because in this room, there's going to be some broken objects. There's going to be broken promises. There are going to be those times in which you violated the will of God, and there's going to be a mess in there. But I'm thankful that in this room, there is also the blood of Christ. I want you to take notice of that. And you'll also see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace and the blood are not a substitute for the obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, but it helps us as we imperfectly try to obey God. But we can see the orientation of our life. Are we striving in our imperfection to obey him? Between us and the door, I want us to notice one other room. It's the salvation room. Now inside there are steps, not a staircase, but steps. Steps in response to the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. You'll notice as you look at those steps, there is hearing God's word. And right beyond that is faith, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And as you look beyond that, you'll see there's the idea of repentance. A changing of the mind with godly sorrow that leads to a change of action. A a reformation of lords and leaders in life. And then there's confession. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God unto salvation, Romans 10 and verse 10. And there is a baptistry on that top step. Or maybe it's a pond or some other body of water sufficient to immerse where forgiveness of sins occurs in response to God's grace. Now, if you've gone through museums, you have seen that many of these rooms have those video clips that are playing. Maybe you sit down on a bench and you can see it as it plays out in front of you. In the museum, in your salvation room, you might have one of those video clips that still plays vividly in your mind. No matter how long ago that it was, it might even be from the VHS tape era, but as you sit there and you look, you see not only your action, but you see those that were there shedding tears of joy and celebrating with you in that moment in which you put on your Lord in baptism. But maybe your room doesn't have that video clip. May I encourage you that there's still time, there's still space for that to take place. Now as you go further into that salvation room, which we're not going to spend a lot of time in because we're about to leave this museum, I want you to see that there's also two roads. One is labeled darkness and the other is labeled light. 1 John 1, 6, 1 John 1 and verse 7. And you can see yourself. This is not like the loop clip. This is always changing because it's still going as long as you're in this life. And as you look, you see yourself on one of those two roads. But also realize that there are those who are standing beside that road who are watching as you live that life. Well, we've run out of time. We're going to make our way out of that room and I want to ask you to think, how was that tour? It was different from all of us. Hopefully, and this is my hope as I stand before you, that all of us are overall pleased with all of our imperfections with what's going on in the museum of the mind. But it could be that there are some changes that need to be made. Maybe when you look at the museum of your mind, you look and you can see that that book room needs to be rearranged, given greater importance to the Bible that makes up that book room. Or maybe you look at some of the thoughts and some of the words and you realize you need to do some deep cleaning in that room. Or maybe you look at the relationship room and you see that there needs to be some repairs made in that room. 
or maybe the promise room or the obedience room or the salvation room are rooms that need some attention. Do you remember I said earlier that God has free access to the museum of your mind? And yet I also want you to think of it from another perspective. While he can see all that's going on, he will only enter that heart room of the museum if you let him. All the most famous paintings of Revelation 3 and verse 20 have the door drawn this way. Do you notice something about that door? That there's no handle on the outside. The only handle is on the inside. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open up to me, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. You know, sometimes we sing the song, There's a stranger at the door, let him in. It's in reference to Jesus. Jesus would love to be the curator, the owner of the museum of your mind. This morning it may be that some change needs to be made. Maybe it's an inner resolve to make sure that what's coming from within is what God would have it to be. Maybe as the result of it not being so, there are some public changes that need to be made. Maybe you've not done what our Lord requires and that the steps in that salvation room and you'd like to do that today. Maybe you need to make some public changes in your life. If so, and if we can help you, we would encourage you to come right now as we stand and sing.